Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, as you know, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes. This morning we come to the final uh, Beatitude, this wonderful chapter in Matthew's Gospel. So those of you who thought we would never finish the Beatitudes, let me just say um, in, in love, neener, neener. And um, I, want, I want you to think about um, what our brother Jackson was sharing, this young man detained, but he's going to be released at some point and he's going to tell mom and dad, hey, I don't do that stuff anymore. I don't want you doing that stuff around me. And what does God say to this young man? when there is a consequence for him saying that to his own parents. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does God say to the young mom who who stays home to, to change diapers and clean up spills and just raise up her kids in the ways of the Lord when when she's judged by her peers for not chasing a career. Or maybe she has a career, but she's not pursuing that that higher position or that greater income as she might otherwise. What, What does God say to her when she feels that pressure? Well, he says the same thing that he says to the fellow who's very good at his job. He excels in the workplace But time and time again, he's passed over for promotion because he won't do that stuff that so often is quietly expected of those who get ahead in business. He won't cut that corner. And God says the same thing to him and to her that he says to the Christian who is not content to be someone who warms a seat on Sunday mornings but actually lives for Jesus and loves Jesus day in and day out, however imperfectly. But even fellow church members judge her as too serious, a little too zealous, too intense. And she feels the weight of that as she senses this and even hears this from people who neither love nor live for Jesus. They're just church folk. What does God say? He says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Note that. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so ends the the preamble to Jesus' own description of his kingdom and his kingdom people. And contrary to popular belief, a persecution is not a sign that you have lost God's favor. In fact, it may well be just the opposite. The Christian is constantly opposed, constantly reviled, whether openly or quietly, we live in a world that is opposed to Jesus. We live in a world that is at war with God. 
And so this preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes, uh, describes for us what God's people can expect living in this world as we do for Jesus. Let's just read the Beatitudes in their context once more, beginning with verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So just picture this. There's Jesus on this hillside in Galilee, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, beautiful place. The disciples are seated around him, and then there's a multitude also gathered, hearing the words of Jesus. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have already seen, haven't we, uh, the bookends in this passage that are verse 3 and verse 10. Just stare at those verses in your Bible. Um, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, says verse 3. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, says verse 10. The kingdom has come because the king is here. And the kingdom is growing and it's yet to come in its fullness. But its growth is underway and it is certain and it is relentless and it's unstoppable. And you're brought into this kingdom of heaven, Jesus has said, through repentance and faith in heaven's king. There's no other way. And your life in Christ is described between these two bookends, if you will. Saved people, Christian people, are humble and contrite before God, says verse 3. They, they come empty-handed to the king. I, I have nothing to commend myself to the king. What I bring to the table in light of his coming to save me, I bring the need to be saved. I bring my sin to the king. And he graciously makes me his own through his work on the cross. And he begins to restore me as one of his image bearers. And yes, I live in an unyielding, impertinent world. And yet I'm reminded here the king's people are meek. Remember, that's not... Um, Weakness, that's strength under control. It's the spirit's control of God's people as opposed to self-control. God's people are hungry, zealous even for righteousness, for holiness. And kingdom people are merciful. The, the, the kindness that God has lavished upon us in Christ spills out of us onto other people. 
costly kindness, radical forgiveness. You say, well, that's, that sounds like varsity Christianity. No, that's 101. This is what it is to be a Christian born of the Spirit of God. That's the only kind of Christian there is. And as God has loved his people, so they love God and are loyal to their king. They desire the very peace of God. In fact, they're called peacemakers because they so desire that others would be at peace with God through faith in the work of Christ and that the very peaceableness of God himself would be on display in their relationships. What an amazing description this is of the true Christian. And what a rebuttal it is to any who imagine that the Christian is somebody who simply goes to a building with a cross on it. And what a powerful reality check is put in front of us in this closing beatitude because Jesus, uh, the king who, who imparts this saving grace to his people and, and when this sanctifying virtue is implanted within his people, his people are not loved by the world. His people are not admired by the world, uh, nor are they respected. In fact, they are hated, uh, they are hunted, and they are harmed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of the examples that I gave earlier maybe surprised you because we, we typically think of persecution, do we not, as, as life-threatening action against the people of God. And, and certainly that is one plain meaning of this word Persecuted. The Greek word dioko, very broad word, it simply speaks of harassment, you know, to, to be treated badly, to, to be pressed and, and pressured and, and chased down, hunted even. And how many of you know the history of the church is a history of God's hard-pressed people being chased down and hunted even? by the enemies of our king, as Saul of Tarsus once hunted down believers, imagining that he was doing God a favor. The world today, on the whole, is a hostile, dangerous place to be a follower of Jesus. And I, and I mention that not because it will surprise you, but, but just to remind you that the, the, the relative absence of deadly persecution in our land, in our age, is not the normative thing in the history of the church. This is the exception that we enjoy, not the rule in church history. Just last week, I heard from um, some of our missionaries with Project 92 in India what happened there last week? As, he were, as we were here sitting on our very comfortable chairs, those are three-hour sermon chairs, as you know, <laughs> and uh, baptizing new believers, singing praises to the Lord without any kind of fear at all. Um, police had been waiting to arrest four missionaries um, in India once their services began. I'm not going to name names and places for obvious reasons, but I want to just read to you a little bit of the report. While worship was going on, 
a mob of 50 religious extremists came and dragged a fifth missionary out of the service. They informed the police that he was trying to forcibly convert people. Uh, He was taken to the police, and the police chief spoke harshly to him, shouting, This is Yogi Raj, which means the kingdom of Yogi, the, 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 the minister of that particular state in India. And he now faces charges of proselytizing, I guess you would say, um, in India, which is against the law. And so that is typical in that part of the world. Much worse is also common in that part of the world. This clash between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man is brutal. But when we think of that word persecution, that's the type of thing that we normally think of. Uh, This morning, I want us to just be reminded that that, that this word dioko, persecution, takes many forms. It it always has. There has always been a cost associated with being a follower of Jesus Christ. It may well take a larger work of grace for a Christian wife to stay with an unbearishly selfish, unsaved spouse for 40 years or so than it would take for a missionary in India to be arrested last Sunday, as I just explained. It may well be a greater victory of grace for a man to endure the disrespect of his own family members because he's, quote, wasting his life, unquote, serving Christ rather than serving professional achievement. We had a funeral here um, a few, um, well, a couple of months ago, I think it was. And I think one of the most powerful testimonies I have ever heard at a funeral was of a guy who really could have been the top of his game in an earthly sense and yet chose to minister to his family and to be available for Jesus' sake in the lives of his family members. So, so listen, persecution. Don't let your eyes glaze over when you hear that word persecution. Oh, that's not to do with us. That's to do with those guys. Persecution does not only refer to those who risk dying for Jesus. Persecution is promised to all who risk living for Jesus. Is that you? Are, are, you, are you one of the king's blessed people? The reviled, yet rewarded? What is persecution? Well, it, it's hardship, it's hurt, it's, it's shame that is, that is aimed by the God of this world at all who risk living for Jesus in a world that hates Jesus. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. Our king, Jesus, makes very clear that his people will know persecution in some form. Some forms of persecution, how many of you know this, are insidious and covert. They're, they're hidden in the dysfunction of human relationships. We, we could spend the rest of today probably sharing experiences within our own family where there's just a real awkward funk in the relationship. How many of you know about a funk in a relationship that seems to be simply because you know Jesus? 
And so the king says to us still today, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to notice an interesting thing in, in grammar here. And, and if you still are having nightmares from eighth grade grammar, I apologize. Um, but, but just notice that in verses 11 and 12, there's a change in personal pronouns. Remember personal pronouns? We've gone from they and theirs to you. In other words, from third person to second person. It's almost as if Jesus is now turning specifically to his disciples, those whom he has singled out and said, hey, you follow me. He has been talking to the multitudes. Remember that from a few weeks ago, the listeners. Just just preaching about the kingdom in, in sort of general terms. And now he says, this is to do with you, the Christian, the follower of Christ. So I ask you again, I don't have any new material. Same question from three weeks ago. Are you a listener or a follower? Turns out they're really different. To be a Christian, to be someone in whom the grace of God has worked the miracle of repentance a turning from sin and a turning to Christ, the the perfect life that he lived, the life you owe to God and don't have to give, Jesus lived for you. And then he went to that cross and he took upon himself the condemnation that you deserve from God. He took that upon himself and he rose again in the power of an endless life, God's own life for his people. You believe this Jesus? You follow this Jesus? Because to be a Christian, the scripture says, is to be reviled by others outside the kingdom. It's to be the subject of scornful whispers. It's to be the, the object of, of, of hurtful misjudgments, unfair behavior, and yes, at times, much, much more. You're not always going to be warmly received valued, loved, respected by people apart from Christ. You'll serve them perhaps by God's grace in a Christ-like manner and they'll use you. They'll mock you behind your back. You'll love them and then you'll never hear back from them until they need to use you again. I mean, they might even use you to get elected and then show their true colors in their words and their living. Are you hearing this? The world's inevitable response to the king's people is persecution. And I want you to notice in this passage that nowhere does Jesus say, go find out how to be persecuted. How this beatitude searches our hearts. How can we avoid persecution? Well, as long as people have no reason to believe we're Christians, no reason to believe we're obedient, righteous people by God's grace, 
we don't have to worry about persecution. In other words, the Christian can't get away from persecution. Remember the words of our king that we read together earlier this morning. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So, so don't miss the message. You cannot love Jesus and live for Jesus and get a pass on this persecution thing. The king's people are to expect persecution. And, and think of how shocking this would have been to Jesus first listeners these Jewish people felt there was nothing worse than persecution persecution was why the Jews were awaiting their Messiah Messiah would come they reasoned and he would he would immediately end all persecution of his people not Declare it to be inevitable and declare it to be a blessing. What a weird thing this must have been for them to hear this. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Remember Job's friends. Job, persecuted in in the most horrific ways by the enemy of souls. And then what did his friends say? Somebody ain't living right, Job. God must be displeased with you. What does Jesus say? Well, he says to us, and we ought not miss this, that this is a blessing attached to a certain kind of persecution. How many of you know that this is not a blessing attached to any kind of persecution? He says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if you've been tuning out, this is the part where you want to pay attention. No blessing whatsoever is promised to those who create their own trouble, pick the wrong battles, or are simply obnoxious to those outside the kingdom. If you're fired for insisting on doing a Bible study at work, on company property, during company time, and your boss says, you know what, I've asked you four times now to stop doing that, you're fired. You're not being persecuted. You have been a poor witness as a believer in the workplace. If you're harassed for knocking on somebody's door with a gospel tract, when there's a big sign on the porch that says no soliciting, and there's a dog with a spiked collar there in case you can't read, and you get bitten, you're not being persecuted. You're being foolish. Jesus said, hey, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. A few years ago, you still listening? A few years ago, there was a, there was a fellow here in Hayden. Maybe he still does this, I don't know. But he had this crazy big Christmas display in one of the subdivisions here. I mean, it drew hundreds of people. It made the, the papers and all of that. 
And um, the, the neighbors got really ticked off because it was, it was just an ongoing annoyance as, as Christmas displays can be. I think we know that. Um, but anyway, that was a joke. <laughs> it, it, it was a loud, flashy display. And I mean, just picture this, scores of cars driving in front of your house for a month at night. Music and all of that. So the neighbors complained because the guy was violating the rules of the subdivision that he had bought into. And um, the guy hires an attorney, takes the homeowners association to task, and at least temporarily prevails over the homeowners association. Why? Well, he, he publicly decried religious persecution. And so in anger... And great swagger, he, he forced that issue with his neighbors. And uh, I would submit to you that he was not being persecuted for his faith at all. He was being persecuted for being a crummy neighbor. And, and a poor testimony at that. Jesus attaches no blessing to his people being rude, obnoxious, demanding, foolish. None of that. Listen to First Peter 4. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. How interesting that that's equated with the kind of disobedience that murder and and thievery and evildoing is, being a busybody in other people's matters. And I'm sorry that I don't have time to exegete that for you. I know you don't know what that means, to be a busybody in other people's matters, all right? Just picture that if you can. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So, so in verse 10, the blessing that Jesus attaches to persecution is upon those who suffer for righteousness' sake. What does that mean? Well, well, it's clarified a little bit in verse 11, isn't it? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Jesus says. For Jesus' sake. In other words, God's people live a God-centered life, a kingdom-centered life, a life of love and, and devotion to the king, obedience to the king, faithfulness to his mission. And if you live such a life without even trying to get attention, you'll find that it's a conspicuous life. It's as different in this world as light is in darkness. It gets noticed. It attracts attention. It's very possible that some of your neighbors snub you because they see you leave early for church every Sunday morning. And just that one very simple behavior that is so much a part of your life you don't really think about people watching you do that um, is an indictment of their own lives. William Hendrickson in in his commentary on Matthew says this of Christians. He says "Their, their very character is a constant protest against the character of their opponents. Righteousness is confrontational by its very nature, meaning we don't have to be confrontational. The the life that is lived in the power of Christ for his kingdom 
is in and of itself a confronting life set against the culture. Quick example from scripture, Cain killed Abel, you know, not because his brother preached at him relentlessly, but simply because Abel's sacrifice to the Lord offended Cain. It confronted Cain with his own selfishness and disobedience to the Lord. So, so as, as we manifest the standards of the kingdom, we will share the reproach of our king. Martin Lloyd-Jones paraphrases this last beatitude this way. He said, blessed are those who are like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you persecuted? Why are some of your relationships impossibly strained when you can't think of a single thing that you've done to make it so? Why why do you not get invited when all of the co-workers gather outside of work? Why, why, Why are you not included when all the other students make their Friday night plans? Friend, it's very possible just because of who you are, because of whose you are, not anything you've done toward them specifically. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, we may be tempted to end there, but it'd be a depressing thing to end there, wouldn't it? Be warm and be filled. Have a nice day. (laughs) What's the blessing? Why ought such treatment affirm this happiness that we have as those who are content in Christ, who know that we're right with God, no matter what happens around us? Well, first of all, persecution for righteousness' sake affirms that I even belong to the king. Assurance of salvation, in other words. Listen to how John MacArthur describes this in his commentary. He says, our assurance of salvation does not come from knowing we made a decision somewhere in the past. Rather, our assurance is found in the life of righteousness that results in suffering for the sake of Christ. Hmm. Secondly, God uses persecution to purify, to perfect his people. We know that we're being made more like Jesus, don't we? How does that happen? Well, the the common means of of grace that God uses to build up his people, we gather like this together as a fellowship. We're, We're in the word of God. We're worshiping the Lord together publicly in that sense. But, But oftentimes it is through our persevering obedience, through trials, tribulation, suffering, that God uses to refine us. Why do I mention this? Because that ought to give us pause before we shrink back and try to avoid any kind of hardship that comes from obedience to Christ. The Lord is chipping off all of the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And and, and there's a bunch of it in me. I don't know about you all. 
To shrink back may well be to leave the very construction site where Christ-like character is being developed. I sometimes tease those of you who have fled the states of Washington and California and Oregon, and I think, I, I think you know I'm just teasing you. I'm from Washington State originally. I moved here 30 years ago. I would not move back, all right? So here's the thing, <laughs> unless God told me to, all right? But, but here, here's my point. Leaving a place of persecution may not always be what God has for his people. Somebody got to stay. Whether it's a marriage, a school, a state in the union, another country, persecution is part of the construction site where Christ-likeness is built. We don't, we don't want to forget that. Persecution, however painful in God's economy, is nonetheless purposeful. Purposeful. Again, the words of Peter. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. You might circle in your neighbor's Bible the phrase, if need be. God says to his elect people, listen, there, 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 there is, there's such a thing as being in the crucible that is necessary for your sanctification. The work of making you like Jesus. And so the, the first instinct we have, which is to leave the construction site, get away from the, the hardship um, boy, we, we need to pray through that and be led of the Spirit because it seems to be that at times it is the very thing God is using to make us more like Christ. How many of you know that the church is purest and grows fastest in parts of the world where God's people are hard-pressed? Paul said it too of, of his own persecution. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are uns- not seen, For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in in, in persecution, I'm I'm being made more like Christ. Persecution for righteousness' sake, or as Jesus says, for my sake. I don't know if you saw this, but CBS News reported this last week. This is the first paragraph of the story. Christianity in the U.S. is quickly shrinking and may no longer be the majority religion within just a few decades, research finds. That phrase, research finds, justifies a lot of things. Um, (laughs) The story said that this this decline in Christianity 
comes as many adults transition to an identity of atheist, agnostic, or, quote, nothing in particular. And that news report is horribly wrong in, in just two important ways. First of all, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Christianity isn't going anywhere but up. But the other thing that, that is so wrong about that is, is, is I think, sobering for us, and, and that is that biblical Christianity has not been a majority religion in this country for a long time. Don't be fooled. The true church, I'm not talking about churchgoers, the true church, those who love Christ, who follow Christ, overwhelmed by the grace of God in Christ, serve as his ambassadors in the world, in their neighborhoods, their workplaces, their schools. That's been a minority group for a really long time. In fact, it's the one minority group in our culture that does not seem to make the list of minorities that ought to be protected. How interesting. Rather than deserving protection, the culture says we are a problem that needs to be dealt with somehow. So let me just end with this. You still with me? What is the church to do then when it's persecuted simply for existing, simply for righteousness' sake, living for Jesus, for his sake? When you are labeled as a hater, simply because you stand for God's design for men and women, the two genders thing. Believe it or not, that's a revolutionary idea now. His design for human sexuality, God's design for the family, when you stand for the rights of the unborn against those who would kill them. What is the church to do when its members are passed over, marginalized, excluded, you know, the, the targets of false witness, <laughs> simply because we belong to the king. L- look at what he says. Verse 12, rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to notice with me what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, when you're persecuted, be sure you retaliate. Be sure you resent them. Be sure you fall into a pit of depression and self-pity. Make sure everybody knows you're a martyr on your Facebook page. (laughs) Don't do any of that, says the king. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. This is the rejoicing of Moses, who did what? What's the scripture say about Moses? He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. This this is the rejoicing of the Philippian jailer who was giddy at his own salvation even though his career as a jailkeeper for Rome was certainly in jeopardy after that, let alone his life. This is the rejoicing of our king, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross. When you're suffering, you're being assured. You belong to the king. When when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, you're being refined. You're being made more like Jesus. And so says King Jesus, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. In other words, the eternal reward of grace is infinitely greater than the temporary pain of earthly suffering. So says the king. Listen to the anthem of the redeemed in heaven. This is Revelation 19. We'll end with this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. How how does the bride make herself ready? By faith in the bridegroom's love for her trusting in his work for her by faithfulness to him as she awaits for his return. So in persecution, I am being prepared for eternal glory. All right, let's, let's end. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We remember, Lord, that you who spoke this blessing to the persecuted knew persecution like no other person on this planet ever. You humbled yourself. You made yourself of no reputation. You obeyed the Father to the point of going to the cross that you might save your people, and you've done so. And you are a risen Savior, still blessing your hard-pressed people. Lord, help us to live in light of our glorious future. Help us not to live any, under any of the hard circumstances that we encounter simply because we belong to you. We pray this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.